7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be uh, asking the question this morning, uh, what does God's word have to say about singleness? Um, but while you're finding we're 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, I just wanted to say again uh, how grateful I am to be here um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, I always love to get to visit you guys. I think this is the fourth or fifth time I was trying to remember that I've been here, and so it's always good to come back. This is the first time I've been back since uh, Pastor CT became your campus pastor, and I was super excited about that, so I love him. I'm excited about what God's doing here at Royal Oak. A second reason I love coming back here is because um, I'm a, a city boy by heart, and so my wife and I moved to the suburbs in Farmington Hills three years ago. We love it. God called us there. But anytime I get to drive to a place where yards get a little bit smaller and culture seems to expand a little bit larger, um, I get really excited. So I just love coming and visiting you guys and, and seeing and hearing all that God's doing here. So um, thanks for having me. So hopefully that was enough time for you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'm going to read a portion of the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 29 through 35, and then I'm going to pray over our time as we study God's word together, and then kind of jump in and we'll unpack some things from there. So hear the word of the Lord. Th this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning in praise and honor of you, as we've just sang, because you, you're amazing. We want to give our everything to you for the God that you are. And as we turn now, God, to your word, we are grateful that you are a God in your magnificence and greatness who has drawn close to us and spoken to us by your son and by your word, that you have revealed your very nature and character to us. And so as we turn to your word, God, we ask that you would once again use it to edify our knowledge of you, to strengthen our love for you, and to deepen our devotion to you. Would you come and engage our minds this morning from your word? Help us to know your truth. Would you come and stir our hearts and our affections for Christ this morning, helping us to see more deeply what he has done for us? And would you use your word to guide our actions that we might glorify you in this world? God, we know for that to happen, that's a work that you need to do. So we ask that you would come by your spirit, illuminate the text to our hearts and minds this morning so that Christ may be lifted high and glorified in this place and that we might trust more deeply in him. So we ask that you would do all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it was one of those comments that someone makes that kind of hits you in the face and kind of makes you rethink a whole bunch of things in a moment. 
I was sitting in my office, and I was having a conversation with a woman that was part of our church family, and we were discussing some recent teaching that I had done. And at one point, she looked at me, and she said, Jacob, I have a question. She said, it seems often that in your teaching, you draw a lot of your illustrations and your applications from being married and having kids. She said, the problem is, I'm single, I'm not married, and I don't plan on having kids. And so I often feel like I'm kind of left out. Like, I, I don't always know how to connect with some of what you're teaching because it always seems like that's the bent is towards marriage and children. I'll be honest that my immediate first reaction was to get defensive. No, of course not. I try to teach to everybody. I, I want to reach all people. But as I sat there and thought about it for a moment, I realized that, yeah, that was actually true. That oftentimes when it came to my teaching, that was the lens through which I engaged. Now, there's some reasons for that. One of the reasons is I don't have a lot of experience with being single. I met my wife my freshman year of college. We got married before I even graduated college, and I've been married for 16 years at this point. Second reason is early on in ministry, one of the very first things that I had been given to do was to lead the marriage ministry for the church that I was working at. So from the very get-go of my pastoral ministry, I had to think through how do we train and encourage and help equip married people for married life. And so I had done a lot of thinking about that. And I knew God's word talked about singleness, but I'll confess that I hadn't done a ton of reflection on it. And so I had been bent kind of towards one way. But as she said that, it began to reframe and reinforce me to think about what does God's word really have to say about singleness? And what I found is that oftentimes this is actually a topic that I think inadvertently gets looked over in the church. When we surveyed our congregation several months ago for this survey, asking you guys, what questions do you have about scripture or God or the world in general? One of the top categories of questions that we got in that survey was related to singleness and what God's word has to say about it. In fact, let me just show you several of the questions that we got from our church family. I could show you many, but just let me show you some so you get a flavor of some of the questions that people were asking. Why does it feel like the church idolizes marriage and having kids? Is that really the end goal? How can I practice being content or satisfied in my singleness even though I have a strong desire for marriage? How do I know if God is calling me to a life of singleness? What is one thing singles should be doing in this season of their life that they aren't? Why does Woodside never talk about singles or singleness at any age? Half your congregation is single, yet you only talk about being married or having kids. So as you can see, there were lots of questions about singleness. And because of what God was already stirring in my heart, I kind of wanted to lean into this topic together and explore, yeah, what does God's word actually have to say about this reality that so many people experience? You see, as I was thinking about it, I realized, one of the things I realized about us as human beings is some of us have the experience of marriage, but all of us experience singleness. No one is born married. So at some aspect, you in your life will journey through the reality of singleness. You might have 
have. You might at some other point in your life, but all of us face it. So if this is something we all have to navigate, shouldn't we have some good thinking about what God might have to say about something that we're all going to experience or have experienced? Well, thankfully, God's word does address singleness and I think helps us to see and know what God has to say about it. And so to do that, I want to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians is, uh, is written to a church, it's a letter written to a church that was in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. And Corinth was a major city, it was a major port city, and it was very cosmopolitan, very much like many of our coastal cities today, New York, San Francisco, LA, you think of kind of that, a mix of cultures and trade and all of that. And the church that was in Corinth was, well, we'll just say they were a bit of a hot mess. And so Paul writes them a letter to deal with a whole bunch of different issues that they were facing in the church at the time. He deals with everything from communion to spiritual gifts to sexuality. And in the middle of that letter, he addresses a question that they have related ultimately to sexuality, to marriage, and to singleness. And as Paul leans into that question, he actually gives us a beautiful framework for singleness and helps us to see why God would actually lead someone or give someone that reality in life. Let me show you the framework first that Paul works for when he thinks of singleness. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 7, all the way back in verse 6. Paul says this, Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. He's referring to his singleness there, his single reality as an unmarried man. I wish that all were as I self am. But here's what he says. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul essentially says, listen, this isn't a command. I wish that everybody was single like me. We're going to see why he says that in a minute. But then he says, but I recognize that's not how to think about this. That ultimately, the way we think about singleness and marriage, dealing with those two issues, is that they are gifts from God, and each person has one of those gifts or another. The framework that Paul uses when he thinks about singleness is that it is a gift. That's what we're going to look at and understand today. He sees them both as gifts, but because we're focusing on singleness, what Paul wants to help you understand is singleness is actually a gracious gift of God. It's a gracious gift of God. Now, there's a couple things in understanding that that I think we need to unpack before we see why God might give this gift to someone. In understanding marriage and singleness both as gifts, right, what we need to recognize is one is not higher than the other. It's not that singleness is a gift and marriage isn't, or that marriage is a gift and singleness isn't. They're both gifts, which means they operate in relational reality within the community on the same level and plane. So that means when it comes to the reality of singleness and marriage, often the question comes like, well, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Well, are you married or not? The gift is related to your relational reality, not simply your inward feeling of desire or not. If you are presently single and unmarried, you have the gift of singleness. If you are presently married, you have the gift of marriage. And both of those realities are gifts that God gives to his people. 
The second thing that we need to recognize in recognizing that singleness is a gift is that singleness is not related to your identity. People are not single because something is wrong with them. It says nothing about their worth, their value, their dignity, their sanctification, their maturity. Singleness is not less than marriage. And people are not simply single because they can't get married. Singleness is a gracious, it's a gift, a reality that God gives to us. Now, naturally, then, the question comes, well, why does God give that gift, then? Because some of you might be single in this room, and you're like, that's great, but it doesn't feel like a gift. So why on earth would God actually give the gift of singleness to some people? Well, as Paul kind of gives this framework, as he continues this discussion, he actually begins to help us see why God would ultimately give this gift. So he goes on from verse 7, and he begins to deal with issues of living as you're called and different categories. But in verse 25, he actually comes back to specifically address people who are in the reality of singleness to help them see some of the blessings that God gives and why he would actually give this as a gift to people. And Paul's going to highlight three blessings that we're going to see today that help us see how singleness is a gracious gift of God. Look with me again at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's, by who, one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul launches here, you see him say clearly, he addresses the betrothed. Now who are the betrothed? The the literal Greek word there for the word betrothed is virgin. These were men and women who were actually in a stage of relationship that had moved beyond uh, essentially being unattached to someone to being engaged to them. So you have to understand how marriage worked in the ancient world, right? There wasn't dating like in our days. There wasn't apps. You weren't getting on whatever app you used to find anyone. If you were married, 99% of the time, that marriage was arranged by your families. And people would have arranged marriages for all sorts of reasons, socioeconomic reasons, political reasons, connection reasons, all sorts of different things. And the process would work is that as your families arranged your marriage, you would enter into a place of betrothal. And betrothal was a legal binding between a man and woman, a commitment towards marriage, before they were actually married. So if you were going to put it in our day, he's addressing people who are in a committed relationship. They're maybe engaged or very seriously committed towards one another. And as we're going to see, Paul's essential encouragement then is, if they find themselves in that, that they're going to need to make a decision of whether or not they're going to be married or whether or not they're going to remain single. And so as he highlights this for them, he begins to show them some of the benefits of singleness. What he wants to help them do is to think deeply about your relational context and see what God has to say. And as he does that, he shows three blessings. Look at verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. 
Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul essentially gives the encouragement. He says, this isn't a command, but here's my wisdom. There's challenges in the world there's face. There's present distress. So a person should remain as he is. If you want to go on, if you're betrothed, you want to go on and get married, that's okay. That's not bad. But consider there's also blessing in remaining unmarried or single. And the first thing that he says is, singleness avoids certain worldly troubles. Part of the blessing of singleness and part of why it is a gracious gift is that singleness avoids certain worldly troubles. Now, Paul doesn't labor and give us all the specifics of what those worldly troubles are. He highlights that there are challenges in the world and likely very specific challenges that the Corinthian church is facing. And Paul essentially says, in light of that present distress, consider that there is a blessing in singleness because in remaining single, you actually avoid some of the challenges that come in being married. You see, I think oftentimes when we think of marriage and singleness in relationship as the gifts that God given, it's easy for us to only look at the blessings of marriage and not recognize some of those challenges and how singleness actually avoids some of those. Sam Alberry, who's a really helpful pastor in this area, he's uh, an editor for the Gospel Coalition, is a pastor at a church outside of Nashville, wrote a really helpful book called Seven Myths of Singleness. And in that book, Alberry actually highlights and recognizes some of the challenges that are in marriage that singleness avoids. Singleness avoids certain relational struggles and challenges that come in being married to someone. It avoids some of the struggles related to kids and what that journey looks like. He brings up a bunch, but then he makes this note, and I think it's really important. He says this, The temptation for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side. Whichever gift we have, married or single, the other can easily seem far more attractive. This is true, right? If, if you're single in the room, there's probably been some point in your life where you thought marriage would be awesome. And if you're married right now, I guarantee there's some point in your life where you're like, ah, singleness would actually be pretty decent right now too. Right? Praise God, single people. You never have to go to marriage counseling. That's a drag. But it's easy for us to fall into that camp where we look at the reality of our gift in comparison to the other and we only see the blessings. So it's easy if you're single to say, married, oh, if I was only married, then I have this, 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 and this. And we're married to look at singleness, oh, I have this, 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 and this. Right? And we forget there is inherent challenge and blessing, in, or there's inherent challenge in singleness, yes, but there's inherent blessing too. And there's inherent challenge in marriage, but there's also blessing too. The question is, if you're single in the room, have you taken time to actually recognize some of the blessings that you have in your life and some of the challenges that you avoid? I think oftentimes it can be hard to see singleness as a gift because if we only look at the challenges of it, 
we think, well, all God's given me is a burden. He hasn't given me a blessing. But if we stop for a second and step back and say, oh, wait, there are inherent blessings here. And actually, there's burdens that I avoid. We begin to see there is a gift to singleness that God has given you. You avoid certain worldly troubles. But singleness not only frees us to avoid things, it actually enables us to experience positive realities as well. That's where Paul goes in verse 32. Look what he says. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order. And to secure, catch this, your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul moves on from saying, hey, I want you to be free from worldly trouble and anxiety. That's part of the blessing of singleness. But he moves on to draw this comparison between married people and single people. And his comparison is really about where their focus lies. He essentially says, if someone's married, they have divided focus. Yes, they are focused on the Lord, but they also have to be focused on caring for their spouse. When someone is unmarried, they have the ability to have a singular focus. What Paul would say is an undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, singleness not only avoids certain worldly troubles, it actually enables undivided devotion because inherent in the nature of singleness is actually a certain simplicity to life. I, I realized this a few weeks ago. Uh, one of my favorite bands, I was playing back-to-back -back shows down in Indianapolis. And so a couple buzzy buddies and I had scheduled a trip to head down to Indy to spend the weekend. We were going to go to both shows and kind of hang out in the city for the weekend. And it was great. It was a great trip. It was, it was a blast. And, uh, and uh, it dawned on me as we were driving down, we decided to stop at a gas station, naturally, went inside. And as we did, I was like, oh man, I want to get some snacks. And you know who I had to think about when I went to go get snacks? No one. <laughs> I didn't have to think about my kids. I didn't think about how much money I was going to expend. When we went out to restaurants, it was so nice. I just ordered what I wanted. I mean, I took my kids to ice cream last night and had to spend 10 minutes. We are in line. I'm like, where's one of my kids? We're ready to order. Oh, he's in the bathroom. Okay, now I got to wait. We get up to the window. I don't know what I want, Dad. Okay, well, now we got to wait. I'm like, ah, this is just ice cream. You guys take 10 minutes and frustrate my head just to do this. It was like so nice for a weekend. When I went to the concert, I didn't worry about who had sunscreen on. Was there enough water? What was, I was like, I'm going to enjoy the band. I don't have to think about anybody else. Now, that's not to glorify singleness over marriage. It's like we don't want to glorify marriage over singleness. But it was to just give you an example. There's a certain reality in singleness that's simple. It's simple. Now, the question is, and what Paul's going to go on to say is, does that simplicity is actually inherently a gift that enables you to have a deeper devotion to the Lord? That's his whole point. This simplicity isn't given you just for yourself, but it's actually given to you so that you can continue to make much of Christ. That the inherent simplicity of singleness is a gift. And here's why. Because 
in your single life, you can do things for Jesus, significant things that married people cannot do. You can. That, that is a gift. And, and if you want a great example of that, you don't have to look much further than the man who wrote this letter. The Apostle Paul was single, a single man for his adult life. And the Apostle Paul did incredible things, probably one of the most prolific missionaries, if not the most prolific missionary in the history of the church. He planted churches and spread the gospel all over and significantly impacted the growth of Christianity at the time. But part of the reason Paul was able to do the ministry that he did was because he was single. Paul traveled all the time. He was constantly on the road traveling all over Rome. He would go into cities and stay in random places or random amounts of time. For instance, Paul went to Thessalonica and stayed three weeks, planted a church there. Went to Ephesus and spent a year and a half training, village, or training um, pastors in, to go out to the various cities in Ephesus. Paul took massive risks for the gospel, traveling to places other people didn't, facing incredible persecution, shipwreck, arrested multiple times in prison. Now imagine if Paul tried to have that same ministry while toting a wife and kids around or constantly having to go back and care for them. It's impossible to do what he did that way. Part of the gift that God had given Paul was his singleness for the ministry that he had called him to so he could be singularly focused. That's why he praises it here because he's able to be singularly focused. And that isn't demeaning marriage, it's recognizing the opportunities, the unique opportunities that single people have for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now you might say like, okay, Pastor Jacob, that's fine, but like that's the Apostle Paul, like I'm just trying to live as a single adult in Royal Oak, like dial it back. So maybe to give you another example, let me introduce you to my friend Lauren, because I think she's been one of the living illustrations of this to me in my life. My wife and I met Lauren when we were in college. She was a leader in our navigators ministry that we were a part of, and we developed a friendship with her, and we've been friends with Lauren for 20 years. And Lauren's been a single, has been single that entire time. And as I've observed Lauren over the years, one of the things I've continued to mark that's been an encouragement just to watch is the way she uses her singleness to embrace opportunities for the sake of Jesus. For instance, many years ago, our church, I was at a different church at the time, was, was uh, partnering with a ministry that was serving to help educate uh, delete children in India. That's the lowest caste system in India. And we were helping to fund schools and train to, to, to educate these kids. And Lauren decided at the time, because Lauren was a teacher and she had her summers free, that she would pour herself into this ministry. And so for many summers in a row, she would leave and go spend up to six weeks living in India over the course of the summer to help train teachers to prepare them on how they could educate kids. Lauren recognizes, just like all of us, have a desire for community and relationship and recognizing the unique spaces she got to enter as a single adult and the time she had. Many years ago, Lauren started hosting Friday night dinners where she would find people that she connected with from different parts of life and just invite them for a dinner at her house to share their story with other people just to make connections. 
people from all different walks and backgrounds and relationships, and she would bring them into her home and use that space as an opportunity to build and develop community. She served our family and been an encouragement and a good friend of my wife in many ways and helped our kids, and we've grown in great relationship with Lauren over the years. And one of the things I've just been reminded in watching is that there is opportunity. If you're single, there's opportunity in your life to lean in to using it for the sake of the kingdom that I can't have. I mean, for, for example, within reason, so I'm going to give this caveat, because I always caveat, because I know there's somebody else, somebody like, well, that's not entirely true. But within reason, if you're single in the room, the reality is you pretty much get to do what you want when you want to do it. And when it comes to your money, you get to spend your money on what you want, how you want to spend it. Again, within reason, right? Don't give me your pushback immediately. <laughs> but that's a blessing. That, that's, a, that's a gift. Right? I, I can just tell you as a married person, if I have to spend one more dollar on sports equipment, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't understand why every sport my kid plays takes $500 worth of equipment. I'm like, what happened to just having like a ball and a hoop outside? I don't know why you need arm sleeves, four bands, knee pads. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, let's play basketball. But the reality is there's an inherent reality in marriage of balancing my priorities of time, my priority of finances, the resources I have amongst all my family. You as a single adult, you don't have quite that burden. You have a certain freedom. And you can use that freedom. Listen, you can use that freedom for yourself. You can build the greatest video game bungalow the world has ever seen. Or you can use what God has given you as an opportunity to further his kingdom in significant ways that I could never do. You see, there's a gift there. There's an ability that you have to make much of the kingdom of God and to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. But as Paul kind of relates both the reality that it frees us from worldly troubles, that it enables our singular devotion, he gives one kind of final reason that I think helps us see the gift that singleness is. Look at verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So Paul begins to deal with the, the issue here of, that naturally comes up in singleness, the issue of sexual desire. I mean, that's been an issue for 2,000 years. That's not new in our culture. And, and he's essentially trying to navigate a challenge that would arise up if someone's in betrothal. Well, what do I do? If I find myself in this place where I'm having this desire for this person and it feels like it's moving that way, should I not get married? And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's okay to be married, right? He draws that comparison. But to those that are firm or committed or recognize that certain reality, it's good for them as well. And then he says this, and this was really interesting to me. It stood out to me as like trying to understand what is Paul getting at here? Because I think this is often the question that we're trying to navigate when it comes to this idea of singleness. Is like, I've heard people say this. Like, well, if you desire to have sex, then get married. I'm like, well, I don't know if it's that simple. 
fight? Like, well, I guess, what, so if I desire, but I don't, what, like, what, what, is, what is Paul actually getting at? Is, it, is, that, is that the determining factor of marriage or singleness, whether I want to have sex or not? Like, if that's the determining factor, that seems overly simplistic to me. Fun, remember, Paul's dealing with somebody who's in a committed place, trying to navigate, do I move forward or do I step back? So remember the context first. But then catch the verse that he says at the end. Because to me, this began to see the key of why Paul sees singleness as a unique gift. Look what he says in verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. Paul said, listen, there's Paul's affirmation. He affirms marriage multiple times in this. He's not comparison. But he says this, he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And again, I don't think he's trying to say singleness is better than marriage. But what he wants to help you see is that singleness inherently has a unique gift from God that experiences his grace in a profound way. You see, one of the blessings of singleness is that it experiences God's empowering grace. Paul recognized, right? There's the comparison between the two. The one who doesn't, who, has, who uh, doesn't find himself in a place of self-control and those who do. And his point is not to draw that comparison of that determining. His question is, at the end of the day, to point to, to say, inherently in the journey of singleness, there is a grace from God that enables a certain contentment and sufficiency in him that is a massive blessing. It's a massive blessing. Maybe think of it this way. Again, Sam Alberry's extremely helpful here. He says this, both marriage and singleness testify to the gospel. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel in that it models the covenant promises that God has made to us in Christ. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to which is our relationship with Jesus. You see, singleness is a gift because in so many ways, it displays the sufficiency of God. It shows that he is what our heart desires and where our greatest sufficiency, purpose, identity, all of it is ultimately found. The matter of being content in singleness is actually an incredible testimony to the gospel because it displays that ultimately our joy, our purpose, our life is not found in another human being. It's found in God alone, ultimately in the work of Christ on our behalf. This is why singleness is a gracious gift. It's a gracious gift because it highlights the grace of God and its sufficiency for our souls. Because all of us, every single one of us, no matter who you are, single or married, are meant to find your purpose and your identity and your sufficiency in God, not another person. And listen, if you're married and you go into marriage not finding your sufficiency in God, I can guarantee you're going to put pressure on your marriage that it was never meant to experience because no other person can satisfy what your soul longs for. And singles become an incredible gift to the church because they display that sufficiency for us. 
And if you want to know this is true, I don't think you have to look any further than the reality of our Savior, Jesus. Jesus lived his entire life as a single adult. He was never married. He never entered into a relationship. He never had sex. He never had sexual relations with anyone. Jesus lived his entire life as a single person and yet came to show us what the fullness of humanity is meant to look like. Empowered by the Spirit, Jesus, both fully God and fully man, was meant to live and show us the example of this is actually what it means to live as a human being and find your full sufficiency in God. That's why Jesus would say, I only do what the Father, or I only do what I see the Father doing. It's why he constantly lived dependent on the Holy Spirit. Just read through Luke and you'll see it. Because time and again, he wants to help us to see that ultimately our purpose and identity and joy and satisfaction, everything we're recreated for is found in God alone. And single people, when you live pursuing that same contentment, you become equally a powerful testimony both to the church and the world of the sufficiency of Christ. You help us to see that he really is our everything. That he really is the only one that can meet what our hearts desire and are created for. Augustine famously said, we were created for you and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And single people, when you recognize the gracious gift that God has given you, that right now, in pursuing passionately the sufficiency of Christ in your singleness, you become a powerful witness to the gospel, you will see that God has actually given you a gift. A gift I cannot display fully in the way that you can. And listen, this is why we need you in the church. Because as a married person, I need reminded of that sometimes. I need reminded of how worth, worthy Jesus is of my everything like we just sang about how he's the one that satisfies me. Not my wife, not my kids, not any other person or idol that I pursue, not my job or what I buy. And when you live passionately with singular devotion for Christ, you bear witness to the rest of us to say he's more glorious than anything on this earth. He's more worth it. And man, that's a gift not only to you, that's a gift to us. And so my prayer is, if God's given you that gift, please use it. Please use it for his glory, because we need it. And so I hope that you do. In fact, I pray that you do. Let me pray for you right now. Father God, first of all, thank you that you are all satisfying. That you created us for yourself. And ultimately, Lord, we find everything that we are in you. Thank you, God, that you loved us enough to create for us a way back to know you and your sufficiency. We know that in our sin we turn from you. God, we even today, even this week, so easily pursue things far less in, than you for our satisfaction and find them empty time and time again. And you easily could have rejected us, left us to our own devices. 
and yet you and your grace loved us enough to send your son to die for us. Not only to be the example for us, but to actually be the sufficient sacrifice. And that he rose from the dead so that we could have new life, so that we could find, once again, our purpose and identity in you. So we stand in this moment first to say thank you for that. And God, I pray.